You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Drumback. Well, if you're happy and you know it, say amen. 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 Well, so glad to see you this morning in the room and those of you watching online. Again, we are just so thankful that you joined us today. And uh, we want to pray this morning for our team that is in New York City. Uh, We sent a group of our best and brightest and bravest to go into uh, the city and share the gospel. So we want to pray for them this morning. Also, you know, we have missionaries that we send out from our church. And one is Cody and Becca Burns in New Guinea. Uh, Papua New Guinea. We want to pray for them this morning, and we uh, know that they watch us from time to time. So let's pray for them this morning, and then we'll jump into God's Word. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the goodness of this day. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move in might and power in this room. Father, we know that you're here, and we know that, God, you're moving, and you are uh, working through your church here at Central. And Father, we want to thank you for allowing us the privilege of worshiping you today. But God, we want to pray also for that team that's in New York today, that you would give them grace and strength that you would protect them and keep them safe and use them, God, to encourage the believers that are there, but also to share the gospel to those that are needed. We pray, God, for salvations. We pray, God, for life transformation. God, we pray that you would use them in a mighty way. And God, would you raise up from them next, our next disciple makers, church planners, and missionaries. Father, speaking of missionaries, we thank you for Cody and Becca Burns, and we pray for them today. We pray that you bless them and give them wisdom and strength as they continue to serve you on the very front lines at the tip of the spear out in the jungle in New Guinea, and we pray that you use them in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we are. Hebrews chapter 11, we're starting a new series called All In Living by Faith. So let's stand as we read God's Word in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 1. The Bible says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that, that, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For, with, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You may be seated. How much faith does it take to be a Christian in America? You know, our world loves faith. Even our American culture celebrates faith. We want to believe, even in these Olympics, we hold out faith. There's just something about our society that hopes and dreams and believes and prays that their dreams will come true, that the Jiminy Cricket inside of all of us hopes that those things would come true. But really, when it comes to it, in a post-Christian America, I still believe that it takes very little faith for us to follow Jesus. I mean, how much faith did it take for you to come to church this morning? I mean, how many of you risked 
all your uh, risked a lot just to get here. Now, if you drove I-4, maybe you risked more than others. But you know, as a pastor, it really, you know, if, if I were to not be a believer, if I were to just deny God, it would cost my family and myself dearly. I mean, to be a pastor, you should be a Christian, right? And, and so if I didn't believe in God, if I denied God, I would lose my job. I would hope I would. Therefore, I would lose my livelihood, all the education, because, you know, I'm uh, have this degree called a doctorate. All that education would be pretty much useless. And so really, it is really rather easy for me to walk with God and do Christian things without really having any faith. It would be really easy for me to do that. Sadly, that's the case for a lot of people that call themselves Christians. J.D. Greer on this particular topic said, I am convinced that many of us squeak out a Christian life without ever being confronted with the hard questions of faith. Taking your kids to church and participating in a Christian subculture you grew up in and are most comfortable with is not bold, risking faith. For many, it's just the path of least resistance. Well, these next five Sundays, we are going to be looking at what it means to live a life of faith, and we're going to do so by looking at Hebrews chapter 11. Now, the book of Hebrews is a different book than a lot of other New Testament books. It's different in its style, and it's different in its authorship. We don't know exactly who the author of the book of Hebrews is, and a lot of scholars believe that the book is just really one long sermon. And so the author here, whom we do not know, is writing to Christians who grew up, predominantly grew up in Judaism, and have converted from Judaism to Christianity, and now they are struggling with their faith. They're in a faith crisis. They're being persecuted for believing in Jesus, from switching from Judaism to Christianity. Some of their friends who became Christians actually decided to go back to Judaism. Those people were then calling these people that were still Christians crazy for following Jesus. And they, in their own hearts, had a lot of unanswered questions that were bothering them. And they were living in moments of doubt, and they were beginning to slip. And so the author of the book of Hebrews, maybe a preacher preaching this sermon to these Christians who were struggling with their faith gives them a clarion call of faith in the midst of doubt. And this is to have faith in Jesus who is better. And so the author of this book or the author of this sermon is calling believers to hold on and look to Jesus for strength to persevere in the Christian life. And so the author here is telling these believers that there is no way they are going to make it if they do not honestly and truly believe that Jesus is worth following. And so what we're going to learn this morning in this first message is this, is that is that saving, persevering Christian faith is a reality that comes from a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a reality that comes from a relationship. So let's just look at those two things. First, the reality of faith. In verse number one, there's a transitional word, the word now, and this is now faith. He's connecting this to chapter 10, verse 39. We have chapter breaks, but there was no chapter breaks within this message. And so in verse 39, it says, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we're those who have faith and persevere their soul and preserve their soul. So we're not those who shrink back. We are those who have faith. And so then in verse 1, he's going to now define faith. He's going to describe the nature and reality of true, preserving, saving 
faith. He's going to give us a partial definition that describes the environment in which faith works and operates in the life of the believer. So he uses words here that define and, and give us a description. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and it's the conviction of things not seen. So what you see here is that faith is assurance, and faith is conviction. Now the word here, assurance, hypostasis, is the word can mean reality, it can mean foundation, it can mean substance. I grew up learning this verse in King James, King Jimmy, and says, Thou faith is the substance of things hoped for. So that's this word, assurance, hypostasis. And then conviction here is the evidence. Literally the word is a legal word here, the evidence, the certainty, or the proof of things not seen. So faith is the assurance, the substance, the foundation, and it's also the evidence and certainty and proof. So it's the substance, it is the assurance of what is hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. And so the things that are hoped for are future things, things that have not yet happened. These are things that God will do. So faith is the assurance of things that God will do, and then he says it's the conviction of things that are unseen. These are past events. These are present realities that we do not see. These are the things that God has already done. So let's put this together, okay? You all ready? Here's what this means. Faith is the conviction of what God has done in the past that gives us assurance of what God will do in the present and future. Do you see that? It's the conviction of what God has done in the past that then gives me the assurance of what God is going to do in the future. What God has done already gives me evidence for what God is going to do. So therefore, we cannot see what God did in the past, nor can we see and know what God will do in the future. So how we understand that, how we see that is faith. So faith is the bridge that gives us conviction and assurance. And so he gives an example in verse 3. He says that by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. No one in this room was there to see God create the world. If you were, let's talk. But we know and we understand. How many of you know and understand that God created everything? Say amen. How do you know that? By faith. So our faith is not baseless, though. I don't want you to think that we're just kind of doing a flying leap in the dark. No, our, our faith is, is based on mountains of historical evidence. And so when we say that we have faith in something, it doesn't mean that we just believe it with no good reasons to believe it. So again, it's not blind faith. What, we, what we're saying here is that we weren't there to see it. But what he's getting at here, the author is saying, listen, by faith, we understand, we believe, we know that the world was created by the very word of God. And if you think about this, everything that you know, apart from direct experience, you know and believe by faith. I'll give you an example. How do we know, how do you know that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States elected in 1860? How do you know that? No one that I know is still alive today that saw him. None of us ever touched him, never, never met him, never heard him, never saw him. So how do we actually know that there was an Abraham Lincoln. It could, have, it could be some vast right-wing conspiracy. 
trying to get us to believe in some mythical tall guy with a top hat to be the 16th president of the United States. You say, well, well, pastor, we have writings and we have pictures, but we don't know for sure. We know that there was a president that was the 16th president of the United States based on, the, on faith in the testimony of those who wrote history. So what we're getting at, what the writer's getting at is to believe that God exists and that he created the world out of nothing only comes by faith. A lot that you believe in life, even if you are not a Christian, even if you don't even believe in God, you live your life by faith all the time. So believing what God did in the past in creation gives us assurance of what God is going to do in the future in new creation. And so we can't see the future, but we can trust the one who sees it and knows it and is already in the future. So faith, if you just think about just the whole thought of faith, and we're supposed to be people of faith. This is so relevant for all of you this morning and, and my heart this morning. Faith either looks back at what God has done or faith looks forward to what God will do. And so the question that you need to ask yourself this morning, if you're struggling with your faith, is has God been faithful to you in the past? Has he? Then that is evidence, that is the evidence that you need to believe him in the present for your future. So faith is this substance. It is this evidence. It's this assurance and it's conviction. But you can have assurance and you can have conviction, but your faith is only as strong as the object by which you put your faith in. And so our world's definition of faith is this. Just believe in yourself. Keep on believing. As, as the, the great musical group Journey says, don't stop believing. Don't give up on yourself. Think good thoughts. Good things come to those who think good thoughts. Now this type of faith that our world believes and preaches is wishful thinking. It's a Jiminy Cricket. Again, it's let your conscience be your guide. But the problem is, is that the object of the world's faith is ultimately you. And here's what you have to understand. You can believe in something with all your might. But that still doesn't mean it's going to work. So let's just say that I was to come to you and say, you know what? I love to drive. Let's go on a road trip. And how about let's go to California and so we'll take my new blue truck with a cracked windshield. <laughs> and we're going to drive. I'm going to go fill up over here. I'm going to go to Wawa. We'll get us a drink. Actually, we'll, I tell you, we're going to go to the kangaroo because that's where you get the 79-cent Polar Pop. <laughs> All right? And here's what we're going to do. We're going to fill up the gas tank. And we're going to drive all the way to California. And we're never going to have to get gas again. <laughs> Ever. You say, really? I say, yeah, I believe this truck can get us there on one tank of gas. All the way there. Really? Yeah, I believe that. I mean, this, look at this truck. It's blue. I mean, it's great. Here's the deal. I can believe that with all of my heart, okay? But I didn't buy that truck for gas mileage. I can believe in something as sincerely. I can believe in something with all of my heart but I'm going to tell you something. There's no way that that truck on one tank of gas will get us to California. 
So your faith really is only as strong as the object. So the very essence of biblical faith is not faith in ourselves. Okay, the essence of biblical faith is trusting in someone outside of ourselves. So the object of biblical faith is Jesus. It's not wishful thinking or happy feelings or pixie dust. It is rooted and grounded in what God has done and has promised to do in Jesus Christ. And so, as the hymn says, it will sing later, my faith has found a resting place in Jesus Christ alone. And here's the good news for you this morning that maybe you're struggling in your faith. It's not the strength or the size of your faith, but it's the object of your faith that actually saves you. And therefore, my faith is only as strong and as good as Jesus is. And the great news is, as we've learned this summer, is that Jesus is omnipotent and omnibenevolent. He is all-loving and all-powerful. Spurgeon put it this way. He says that our life is found in looking unto Jesus, not looking to our own faith. But he says, by faith, all things become possible to us, yet the power is not in the faith, but in the God with whom the faith relies. So it's not the power is not in your faith. The power is on whom your faith relies. Tim Keller gives an example. Just to imagine that you are falling off of a cliff. And and while you are falling off of a cliff, you see this branch that's just hanging there. And in that moment, you have a choice. You can reach out and grab the branch, or you can just fall to your death. And so if you reach out with all of your strength and all of your mind, if you get like Chuck Norris on this thing, and you reach your arm up, here's the question. What's the most important thing? That you reached up and grabbed it or the strength of that branch? The most important thing is the strength of that branch. You can grab it as quick as lightning, but if that thing can't hold you up, you're dead. The same is true with God. Your faith is only as strong as the object to whom you put your faith in. So it's not great faith you need, it's just faith in a great God. So the reality of faith is, notice going back to this, I want to go back to that definition, if you can put it back on the screen. Faith is the conviction of what God has done in the past that gives us the assurance of what God will do in the present and the future. So that's the reality of faith. Now let's look at the relationship of faith. The relationship of faith. Remember, I told you that it is a reality that comes out of a personal relationship with Jesus. And so verse number two, the author says, he gives a definition and he says, for by it, for by it, people of old receive their commendation. He says, the old timers in the Old Testament were counted righteous. They received their commendation. Okay, it's a legal term. They were counted. They were counted as righteous by faith alone. The writer here then is going to, in chapter 11, going to give us a list of Old Testament saints that in chapter 12 he's going to call a great cloud of witnesses. And these are all of them are commended or counted as righteous by faith. And so what Michael Kruger in his commentary on Hebrews says is that faith is the key that unlocks everything in the Christian life. And so the Old Testament saints that are mentioned in this book, as we kind of refer to them as kind of the hall of faith or the hall of fame of faith, are just examples of what true, saving, preserving, persevering 
faith look like? And so these examples just show us of what God just show us what God can do in and through a life that is walking and trusting in him by faith. If so as you look here at these people, these are ordinary people that by a relationship with God and faith did extraordinary things. But the issue isn't that they were awesome. The issue was that God was awesome. But they had a relationship with God. And here's the thing you learn about these men and women is that their relationship with God was not religious, but it was real. It was not generic. It was authentic. They had real walks of faith with God. And so we're just going to talk about two, and then next week we're going to talk about one. And so, and then we're going to go all the way through. So verse number four, he says here, by faith... Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And so this is Genesis chapter 4. If you're not familiar with this story, Adam and Eve had sons. Uh, They had a son named Abel and a son named Cain. Um, Both Abel and Cain were farmers. Uh, Abel kept the flocks, kept the sheep, and Cain grew stuff. Both of them were going to church one day and they brought their offering to the Lord. They worshiped the Lord through sacrifice. Both brothers did this. Abel presented to God the firstborn lamb as a sacrifice to God. Cain uh, presented the first fruits of the field. As you read this text and as you read Genesis 4, God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he rejected Cain's sacrifice. Now the question is, well, why is it that God accepted Abel's but not Cain's? Well, some would say, well, because the blood sacrifice, and we know that without that the, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so maybe the reason why God accepted Abel's and not Cain's is because of the blood. And that could maybe be a part of this. But I, I want to tell you that I don't think the issue was as much about what was sacrificed to God as much as the heart behind the sacrifice. Because what you're going to see in the text is that one's going to sacrifice or worship by faith and the other's going to sacrifice or worship by religion. Abel is going to offer sacrifice to God in faith, looking outside of himself towards the Messiah who would come and crush the head of Satan to bring redemption to God's people. Another would sacrifice to God on the basis of his works and duty, hoping to appease God in the moment. And you say, well, Pastor, how do you know for sure that Cain, the way of Cain that the book of Jude talks about, uh, how do we know that, that, that Cain sacrificed or worshipped that, that it wasn't by faith. I mean, he had to go and, and, and cut all these vegetables up and present them to God. I mean, how is this not? Well, here's how we know it's not. Three reasons. Number one, God didn't accept it. Number two, Cain got angry. And number three, Cain killed his brother. Let me just tell you something right now. If you kill someone after church on purpose, you're probably not a Christian. <laughs> just going to put that out there, Okay. Now, again, I said on purpose. So what this tells you and I, here's what this tells all of us, and here's what we learn about the faith, okay, is that you can be religious. You can do church things. You can go through the motions. You can look the part and still not have true saving faith in Jesus. There's some of you in this room that you may, you may look the part and act the part, but you know inside you are not saved. See, you can outwardly look impressive and inwardly be far from God. Now, listen, we don't know the depths of Cain's heart, but whatever it was was not a faith because Jesus is going to talk about people like this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, many is going to come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? And Jesus is going to say, I'm going to look at them and say, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. And here's why Cain 
at this point in his life, wasn't a Christian, wasn't a believer. It's because I think that Cain, like many of us, thought that he could approach God any way he wanted to approach him. I want you to understand that you and I cannot approach God in any way we want. We can only come to him on his terms. We can only come to him through faith in Jesus Christ in a blood sacrifice. James Boyce said that if if one comes first through faith in Christ and his shed blood, then he can present all the beautiful things he is capable of finding or creating. God will be pleased by this because the person does not trust these things for salvation, but rather is offering them to God just because he loves him and wants to show affection. It's only on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ that I can come. Listen, if I come to God and I read my Bible and I pray and I do good things and I help little old ladies across the street and I give lots of money and I go on mission trips and I serve people all the time, but I do that so that God will accept me, God won't accept it. But if I come to him by faith in what Jesus has done for me and then do all those things, God accepts it because I'm doing it not because I have to, I'm doing it because I want to. See, I must come by the blood. I come by the cross where God's mercy flows from hands pierced for me. For I dare not stand on my righteousness. My every hope rests on what Christ has done. And I must come by the blood. So we see that it's this relationship. So in Abel, we see that he came to to God on God's terms. And here's the thing. His faith still speaks to this day. He was the first martyr for his faith, Abel. And yet, the Bible says he's dead but still speaks. Do you understand that that's what faith in Jesus Christ can do in your life? How many of you right now have family members that you know were strong believers that walked with God, and they're, they're passed on, but their legacy is, in, is just put in your heart? They're dead, but yet they still speak. How is that possible? Through a personal relationship with Jesus. The reality of their faith comes only out of a relationship with Jesus. So now we get to the next one, verse number five. We got Cain and Abel. Now we're going to get to Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. This is Genesis chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. The Bible tells us that God, uh, that Enoch walked with God. Enoch was at the age of 365, and he was taken up. He was raptured by God, and he didn't die. Five times in this verse 5, the writer tells us that Enoch didn't die. Notice he says he was not, he was taken up, he should not see death, he was not found. God had taken him before he was taken. Five times the writer wants us to understand Enoch didn't die. Genesis 5.22 tells us two times that Enoch walked, Enoch walked with God. And so what does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean that he had this faith? Is that he had a personal relationship with God that was daily. He didn't just know things about God. He knew God and God knew him. He had a deep abiding relationship through faith. So to walk with God is to walk by faith. He had faith in God, that was so real, it transformed his life. And I want you to think about something. God took Enoch in the middle of his life. You say, middle of his life? 
He was 365 years old. If you read the chronology, if you read the, the list of names, people live to be in their 900s. Methuselah, his son, is going to live to be 969 years old. And so Enoch was a young man when God took him. But yet Enoch didn't complain. He didn't care. I, in my mind, he was just walking with God one day. And God said, you want to come to my house? And Enoch said, yeah. And then he took him. <laughs> Think about that. Is your walk with God like that? I mean, that's what I want for my life. I'm just walking with God one day and God says, hey, you want to come to my house? My house is, come on. And I just go. Oh, what a glorious day. What does it look like to walk with God? Well, we don't know exactly the full parameters of it, but maybe a little bit of glimpses even found in the Old Testament text in Micah chapter 6. In Micah 6, the Bible says that he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. To, to walk with God is not outward focused, it's inward focused. It's not just doing godly things, but it's being godly and spending time with God. It's enjoying a real relationship with God that leads to a change from the inside out. Our outward actions are just merely results of real faith that's springing from within, from a real relationship with God. J.C. Ryle said that faith is the root of the real Christian character, of the real Christian's character. Let your root be right, and your fruit will soon abound. Your spiritual prosperity will always be according to your faith. He that believeth shall not only be saved, but shall never thirst, shall overcome, shall be established, shall walk firmly on the waters of this world, and shall do great works. Real relationship. In, on God's terms... To the point to where your life has changed. Here's the question. How do I know that I am saved? How do you know? Well, I want you to understand, I'm not saved because I'm good or because I'm a good person. If you were to come to me and say, Pastor Allen or Allen or whatever you want to call me today, how do you know you're saved? I would say this, because today... In this moment, I am trusting what Jesus did for me on the cross and the empty tomb for my salvation. I'm not trusting in my goodness or my abilities, only in Jesus. And I know that God loves me because I've, I experience daily His presence in my life. I know that I'm saved not because of what I did, but because of what He did. Real saving biblical faith is not a feeling or an emotion. If, it, if your salvation is based on how you feel, most days you think you're going to hell. But it is not based on a feeling or an emotion. It's based in Jesus. It's putting all of your hopes in Jesus. And so verse number six as we end. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. The Bible says in Romans that whatever is not a faith is a sin. On our own, in our own strength, it's impossible to please God. We have nothing that impresses God. 
We have nothing that pleases God. We can only come through Jesus, who is the beloved Son with whom God is well pleased. Our faith, your faith, my faith, is not just another work or another way to earn favor. But what faith does is that faith connects us to Jesus. And when you're connected to Jesus, Jesus is the one who pleases God. And because Jesus pleases God, I can please God because I have access to God through Jesus. Notice the text. He says, without faith it's impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God. If you want access with God... If you want to be close to God, you must believe two things. Number one, God exists. That's the conviction of things unseen. And he rewards those who seek him the assurance of things hoped for. That is, it's faith. Faith connects us to Christ who pleases God and gives us the conviction that God is real and the assurance that we will receive the reward that we long for. So here's the question. What is the reward we're seeking? He says it, without faith it's impossible to please God, for everyone would draw near to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. What's the reward? Is it a happy life? Is it heaven? Is it health? I'm going to tell you, it's not what, but it's who. The great reward of our faith is Jesus Because when you get Jesus, you get everything you ever wanted and everything you ever needed. When you have him, you have everything. And here's why. It's not what you know in life, but it's who you know that gets you in. A few years ago, Mike Corgan and I were in Rupp Arena. There's a a picture here you can see. And uh, I always wanted to go into the newly renovated locker room at Rupp Arena. And on my own, as great as a Kentucky fan that I am, that was not enough to give me access. Just because I'm the world's greatest fan doesn't mean they let me in. But I had a friend whose name is Amy Tilly. She's an assistant coach for the women's team, even to this day. And she not only gave Mike and I free tickets, praise God, but she gave us at halftime an all-access tour of the locker room. And so she, she said, meet me down at halftime And we're going to do a tour during halftime. And so I waited with anticipation. Mike and I made our our way down into the arena, to the area where we were supposed to go. And there I was looking at thousands of fans who, if they knew where we were going, I mean, angels fear to tread where we were going. We got to the entrance. She met us there. There was a security guy that looked at me. Here we are about to go into the area, this special area. His eyes looked at me. He didn't say a word, but he looked at me, and it's almost as if he was saying, who are you? And why should I let you in? And I just looked at him with a smile on my face, and and I looked at him, and there she was, and I said, look, I'm with her. And he looked at me, and he looked at her, and he looked at me again, and he said, have a great time. It's really awesome back there. And there we entered into the Holy of Holies. I think we may have a little video here. I I want you to, if it'll press play here, does it press play, press play, blah, 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 blah. If it doesn't, then I just, you just get a glimpse. It's only like the backside is all you can get here. If it doesn't work, that's fine. But there it is. If you could just imagine, there we got this full tour of the locker room. Again, if you need to cover your eyes, I understand. 
Let me just say this. One day I'm going to die. And you're going to die. Or we're going to be raptured. And one day I'm going to stand before God. And one day I may be asked by angels or somebody, why should I let you into heaven? I'm going to look to Jesus and I'm going to say I'm with Him. I'm trusting in Him. And the Father will look at me and say, enter my Son into the joy of the Lord. I'm with Him. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. Faith, real faith, is reality that comes out of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's my question for you. Do you have that real relationship? I don't care if you come to the 930 service. I don't care if you're watching online early. Do you know that you know that you know that your life and your heart is right with God? If you don't, today would be such a great day to get that right. So what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity. Right now, just as you are, just where you are. There's nothing magical in the words that I say, but it's really just faith crying out to God. And so just where you are, I want everyone to bow their heads and everyone to close their eyes. And I just want to give you an opportunity right where you are. If you're here in this room, no one's looking around. But you would say, you know what, Pastor, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I I really want to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior today. If that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's not my prayer that saves you. It's faith in Jesus that saves you. So if that's you this morning, would you just pray a prayer like this? Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done so many things that do not please you. But today I give my life to Jesus. I ask that he forgives me of my sins. I ask that he save me. Lord Jesus, save me right now. I'm not basing this on how good I am. But I'm giving my life to Jesus. Now every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you this morning just prayed to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I want to ask you to take a step of faith. No one's looking around. It's just you and me. If you just prayed to receive Christ this morning, would you just lift your hand up? I see you. I see you. I see you. Praise God. You can put your hands down. For those four hands I just saw in the room, here's what I want you to do. At the end of this service, no one's looking around. At the end of this service, I want you to go to our next steps room, which is to the right, or I want you to take that guest card that you see in the pew back and write your name, put your information, and say, I just trusted Jesus as my Savior. Put it in at the offering plate or go to the next steps room, or I'll be down here in the front. I would love to talk with you four or five people that just raised your hand and said, I trusted Jesus as my Savior today. Father, in Jesus' name, you have your way. We love you. Thank you that salvation has come today to the house of God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.